Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Pekin, Illinois. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Robert Bonsai B, we'll call him Bonsai, lived an honestly really sad life. His mother Lisa struggled with addiction among a slew of other unfavorable behaviors, and frankly his entire short upbringing was enough to write a book about. There were reports of drugs and prostitution in and out of his little 400-square-foot home, and the home itself was disgusting. It was a hoarder situation where the shower was unusable, the toilet looked like it was clogged with feces to the point where it too was inoperable. There were piles and piles of garbage, starting from when you open the front door to the bedrooms, the kitchen, the hallway, and the bathroom. And remember, this house was about half the size of your average apartment, so it's not like there was a ton of room to exist anyways. The animals used the house as their backyard slash litter box. There was poop and pee everywhere. It smelled horrible. You couldn't lay in the beds. You couldn't even see one of them. And when there wasn't enough room in the house for the garbage, it spilled out onto the front yard, which was always littered with different debris, whether it was literal trash or furniture. And while I'd love to say that Bonsai's home life was the only part of his life that was in disarray, it seemed to overflow into just about every other aspect of his life, including school, behavior, and friends. He didn't like school. He was bullied. He had a front adult tooth that had rotted almost to the gum line. He wasn't a fan of authority. There wasn't much of it at home, so respecting it at school wasn't his top priority, so a lot of the times he just didn't go. In Pekin, you have to attend 90% of your school days or a truancy officer will be called, and the truancy officers knew Bonsai and his mother well. With every citation came a fine, and the fines just kept adding up, which had to be frustrating to his mother considering she was unemployed, but alas, she was fighting her own demons. Oftentimes, Robert would call his sister Stephanie, who was actually older than his mom. She was his sister from his dad's side of the family, but anyways, he would call her and beg her to come get him out of there, and she would. At one point, it looks like he stayed with her for a good six months before going back home to Lisa. Ashes to Ash TV reports that she told CPS she wouldn't let him go back home until his home life changed, meaning the physical home and the parenting. But Lisa followed the reunification guidelines, took some parenting classes, and in the end, he went back home to his mother. Banzai wasn't happy, though. He was away from the house as much as possible, staying with one friend or another, and I'm talking all the time, including school nights. And most of his friends were much older than he was. I'm talking juniors and seniors in high school while he was still in middle school. When he couldn't find a friend to stay with, it wasn't uncommon for him to ride his bike 10 to 15 miles away to the nursing home his dad was a patient at. And they'd actually allowed him to stay overnight there at times, knowing the situation he was dealing with at home. His father was in his 60s and really sick. He was blind and on dialysis and needed round-the-clock care. He was still legally Lisa's husband, but otherwise they weren't a couple at all. Lisa, in fact, had a boyfriend. In early November of 2016, CPS was called for the umpteenth time, and when they came out to Bonsai's house, they were appalled at what they saw. They told Lisa that she had to get the house deep-cleaned and organized if she wanted to continue living there with her son. And she did. Ashes to Ashes says that a neighbor let them move in while she got it done, and by November 14, 2016, the two of them were back in their tiny 400-square-foot home on Sap Street. 
On the 16th, a school night, Banzai spent the night at his friend Chris's house. The next morning, it's a little blurry, but his mom says he walked to the bus stop and tried sneaking a soda onto the bus under his shirt, which spilled and got him wet. And she says that the bus driver told him that he couldn't get on the bus with a wet shirt, so a friend walked him back to Chris's house. Now, I'm not sure why his friend would have walked him back to Chris's house and not have gotten on the bus himself or why he didn't just go back to Banzai's house, but Lisa says she called Chris's house and told him not to leave until she got there. But this kind of conflicts with the truancy officer's reports. According to those, they came to Lisa's house around 11 a.m. that morning to serve a citation and take him to school. But Banzai didn't want to go. He got into an argument with the officer and booked it on his bike. The officer tried catching up to him, but he couldn't. Eventually, he did come home, though. According to Lisa, he asked to stay with Chris for a second night in a row, and even though he had changed his story and said he hadn't gone to school simply because he didn't want to, she allowed him to spend the night there again on one condition, that he promised to go to school the next morning. Now, I'm sure every parent listening to this is wondering who in the fuck would allow their kid to have a sleepover after running from a truancy officer after skipping school for the umpteenth time, but Lisa is who? According to Ashes to Ash, the two nights he stayed at Chris's house, Lisa stayed the night at her new friend Patty's house. Seriously, the first day they met was the 16th, and she too was having her own sleepover. On the 16th, they partied with five friends, and on the 17th, they partied with three. That night, between the three of them, they went through 10 bottles of alcohol. 10. The morning of the 18th comes, and Chris, who's in high school, sets off to his bus stop, and Chris's parents watch Bonsai set off in the direction of his bus stop. But Bonsai never makes it to school that day. Again, around 11 a.m., Lisa gets another call that he didn't show up for school and that they're there to serve him another citation. She tells them that she'll meet them there in a few minutes and calls Chris's mom to see if Bonsai was still at her house. Chris's mom tells her what we already know, that she saw him walk towards the bus stop that morning and that she hadn't seen him since. The truancy officers wait and wait and wait, and around 3 p.m., Lisa leaves her new friend's house and heads back home, knowing her son had been unaccounted for since early that morning. When she gets there, she reports her son as a runaway. She doesn't report him missing, which is important because missing persons reports and runaways tend to have very different investigations. She tells police that Banzai must have come home because there were clothes on the floor, the mail had been brought in, and there was a half-eaten peanut butter sandwich on the kitchen table. But I've seen this house, and none of those things mean anything. He doesn't have his bike because it's lying in the front yard, and according to Lisa, he doesn't have his backpack either. From what I can tell, he didn't take it with him to Chris's house the night before, odd considering she said he could only go there if he promised to go to school the following morning, but didn't make sure he took what he needed to go to school with him. Chris's parents were actually under the impression that Banzai was, in fact, going to stop by his house on the way to the bus stop that morning, which would have been on his way. So I don't think he even so much as packed an overnight bag for this second sleepover. 
Anyways, a missing persons report is issued under the assumption that he's a runaway, and it says that he was last seen wearing a red and gray shirt, jeans, and some sneakers. I have to assume that's what Chris's family saw him wearing since Lisa wasn't at the house that morning. So the detail of clothes being thrown around the house by Lisa doesn't really help the investigation. I can only assume they asked her if any clothes were missing to get a better idea of what he was wearing, but alas, we don't know that. This is when the storytelling begins. Lisa tells the police that she wasn't home when Banzai must have come by because she had a job interview early that morning. Locals say that Lisa told police she wasn't home when Banzai must have come by that morning because she had a job interview, but we know she was at a friend's house. No one has ever been able to prove whether or not she actually went to a job interview that day. She also started telling people that Banzai was last seen at his bus stop by his friend Chris, who walked him there, and that when the bus got there, Banzai didn't get on. But Chris doesn't go to that bus stop. He doesn't even go to the same school as Banzai. Why make this up when the truth, or what we can only imagine to be the truth, is that he was last seen walking in the direction of his bus stop, which also doubled as the direction of his house, and that's the last time anyone saw him. This doesn't sit well with anyone, especially anyone who knew anything about Lisa at all. Banzai doesn't come home that night or the night of the 19th, and by the 20th, the community is ready to do something about it. They organize a search starting at Chris's house and fanning out. Lisa shows up with some of her friends, and they all head out to look for her son. The media shows up and interviews Lisa, and the interview doesn't help the public's perception of her. She didn't seem to be as concerned as everyone would expect a mother to be when her child is missing. More searches are held, but Lisa doesn't attend any of them, her excuse being that she wants to be home in case he comes back, and while that's not totally invalid, there were always friends with her that would have been there if he did show up. People wonder how a mother can just sit around and wait, not knowing where her child is. The nights were freezing, literally. Bonsai had no coat and no phone. It had been taken away a few months prior to him going missing, so he had no way of contacting anyone, even if he wanted to. CI Proud reports that volunteers continued to search parks he was known to hang out at, and police talked to the few friends Lisa seems to know about, but Banzai isn't at any of their houses. They check with immediate family to see if maybe he'd run away to their houses, or if he'd gone to stay with his father again, but no. He wasn't anywhere, no one had heard from him, and there were absolutely no signs of him. There are potential sightings of him everywhere, though, including one reported by a bow hunter whom Ashes to Ash reports is absolutely sure he saw Banzai along the train tracks about two miles from his house five days after he was reported missing. But the bow hunter was told that it wasn't him, even though it doesn't seem like anyone really checked out that lead. More than anything, it felt like his potential sighting was being dismissed. Thanksgiving rolls around and the community has this big parade where there's free food and hot chocolate and everyone, and I mean the entire community here, hopes that maybe Bonsai will show up to get something to eat. Parade goers keep an eye out and pass out flyers with his face on them, hoping that someone in the crowd might spot him, but no one does. I want to take a second to put emphasis on just how much the community came together for Banzai here. Everyone seemed to find out pretty quickly just how much love he likely didn't have on a day-to-day -day basis and wanted to make sure he had no doubt that he was in fact love and that he did have a place to go if he did in fact run away. His sister Stephanie made a point to post to her Facebook that if he came home, she would get him, that he could show up at any point in time, no questions asked, that she had promised to protect him and she intended to do so.
Time continues to tick by and everyone is starting to wonder why the police don't seem to be taking Banzai's disappearance as seriously as they are. They aren't seeing big police searches or any large police presence. They're not seeing canines or anything. So far, all the searching seems to be organized by members within the community. And while they don't plan on stopping, they're wondering why they're not getting more professional help. On November 29th, the police give a little insight. They say that while they are concerned that he's reached out to zero people since he was last seen, they have no evidence that an abduction took place and therefore have no reason to do a bigger search for him. What the fuck? This is followed up by a request from the police department on December 1st asking the public to stop doing their searches because they worry that untrained people may inadvertently compromise evidence, which seems hard to do when the only people who seem to be doing the searching are the untrained ones. What's the evidence even worth if it's never looked for? For what it's worth, authorities do say that they're still receiving multiple tips a day, sending officers out to investigate, and then meeting to regroup before the next tip is addressed, comforting if true. On December 10th, the Pekin Times reports that police are finally, finally doing a controlled search in the woods off of Manitou Blacktop after receiving a tip. These woods are about four and a half miles from his house on Sap Street, down Route 29 and Powerton Road, but nothing seems to come from it, and no one really gets any news about what exactly this tip inferred, just that there have still been no confirmed sightings of Robert since November 18th. It's been almost a month now, and the search by police was within a five-mile radius of his home. Bonsai has reached out to absolutely no one, they don't believe he's been physically seen, and it's been bitterly cold outside. I have to wonder if they genuinely believed he was still alive and somewhere in those woods, having lived off the land for nearly a month in the freezing temperatures, or if someone thought they found something, reported it to police, but it wound up being nothing. Either way, he is still classified as a runaway, which blows my mind. Billboards are put up going into and coming out of Pekin. Some people even make their own signs and tack them onto plywood, hoping that someone recognizes the boy in the photos. A $1,000 reward for information is even offered by Crime Stoppers, but still nothing. Vigils are held in hopes that Banzai sees them and knows he's welcome home, but his mom doesn't attend. The community leaves their porch lights on to light up the streets in case he comes back, but Christmas comes and goes and there's still no sign of Banzai. The weather is now in the negative double digits. If he's out there on his own with no place to go, no food or shelter, and no jacket to keep him warm, there's no way he can survive in these elements. The police give an update, or what they consider to be one, and according to 1470 WMDB, they literally cannot rule anything out, including the possibility that a family member was involved. Basically, they have nothing, they know nothing, and because of that, anything is possible. Following this update, though, an arrest is actually made, but it makes no headway in the case. A woman named Jennifer is arrested and charged with obstructing justice. She had reported what police deemed a credible tip, that she saw Bonsai going in and out of a specific house, but it wasn't true. And we know it wasn't true because she admitted on Facebook to making the entire thing up. Not only did she send police out on a wild goose chase following blind hope, she was really, really stupid about it. And it got her thrown in jail for a hot second. 
There was a little good that came out of this waste of time, though. Finally, we get a real update about the footwork the police have been doing. They say they've knocked on the doors of sex offenders in the area, which is fucking phenomenal considering there were about 30 within a one-mile radius of his house, which is mortifying. And they say they've pursued every credible tip, which they list in the dozens. They don't define the word credible, though, and it makes me wonder how many tips had been deemed unimportant and why. Around this time, Banzai's mother overdoses and gets checked into a psych ward for nine days. After she's released, she heads off to a 30-day rehab program, which she does complete, and checks into a sober living facility. This is likely why she missed her truancy hearing that she had scheduled for January 3rd. Stephanie, Banzai's sister, showed up, but Lisa was a no-show and was fined $386 because of it. While at her sober living house, Lisa gets evicted from the home that she shared with her son, and everybody wonders, what if he comes home and now no one's there? Where does he go now? How does he find his mom? How does he even contact her? I mean, that was her excuse as to why she didn't go out on those searches. She wanted to be home in case he came back, but now there's no home to come back to. And while sobriety is phenomenal, she still has a missing son out there who is still, and I repeat, still considered a runaway. While the eviction seems like a huge blow, for the police, it's a win. Now they don't need Lisa's permission to go inside, and when they do, it's just as much a disaster as it ever was before. The clothes, the food, the junk piled from the floor to the ceiling. There's a chair and a lamp on what looks like it would have been Bonsai's bed. Lisa's bed, frankly, cannot be slept in. It's just a makeshift shelf of shit that reaches halfway to the ceiling. The toilet is disgusting, and there's no way you could ever flush it. The house is uninhabitable, and the front yard isn't much better. There's some furniture out front, a bed frame laying against the house, trash cans toppled over on the yard, and Bonsai's bike is still out there, seeming to have never been touched, just wasting away in the elements of winter. Bonsai's case seems to go pretty dormant in the news. Nothing much is said until January 26th of 2017, when the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children donated a bunch of signs to the police department for them to put up around town. But the community had been doing that since day one, and it's been two months now. People are less worried about signs at this point, and more worried about why nothing else is being done. Why dogs weren't at the house on the day he went missing. Why more professional searches haven't been done and why they're receiving no updates on any of the tips being called in. Why don't they physically see anyone other than themselves searching for Banzai, even though they were asked not to? I mean, someone has to, right? Another month passes, and Lisa makes a video from her sober living house and posts it to Facebook. Now, she deletes it about as fast as she put it up, but the internet is forever, so here we go. She tells everyone that she's 38 days sober and that she almost relapsed like that day, the day of the video. She says it's a struggle every day when you're an addict and that she really misses her son. And honestly, it seems kind of genuine. She says that people don't know what it's like waking up every day and not knowing where your child is and that the hate she's gotten from the community has something to do with the amount of times she's tried to commit suicide since Bonsai disappeared. The video goes a little left of center after this, though. She says, I remember the last thing he said. When I went to the school and talked to the principal, he told the principal that he was running away from home and never coming back because his dad was mean to him. 
One, that wouldn't have been the last thing he said because I'm pretty sure the last time she says they talked was when he was apologizing to her for being upset that she wouldn't buy and bring him cigarettes to his friend's house on the night of the 17th. And yes, you heard that correct. Two, where is this principle in his statement coming from? Why is this the first we're hearing about this and has anyone checked into it? And three, his dad was someone he ran away from home too, and often. I mean, he rode his bike miles and miles and miles to see his dad, even though he was incredibly ill. Why all of a sudden, three months into his disappearance, are we hearing about this mysterious confession to his principal at the school he hated going to, and issues with his father, who, to everyone else, Banzai seemed to really enjoy being around? Something must have happened between her and her husband because she starts talking about how she thought she had a husband at one point, but that she's done and doesn't need that anymore, which seemed kind of apparent by the fact that she had a whole ass boyfriend. A little more than a week after Lisa posted and deleted that video, Banzai's dad actually passed away, never knowing what happened to his son. Lisa moves on and out of the sober living house. She has what looks to be another short stint in a psychiatric ward before moving to Springfield, about 60 miles from the house she lived at with Banzai, and into a new home with her boyfriend. March and April pass with virtually no news. In May, another vigil is held, marking six months since Banzai's disappearance. Again, Lisa doesn't show. A lot of people wonder if it's because she doesn't care, but I also have to wonder if she thinks it would just make things worse for everyone if she showed up. I mean, she's been public enemy number one since this happened, and her presence now might stir up some controversy. But the argument still remains that if your child was missing, would anything hold you back from trying to find them? Peora Public Radio does a piece on the six-month anniversary, and Banzai's sister Stephanie tells the station that she still isn't sure what to believe. What really happened? What went on in the house? Did he really go home? Did they take him somewhere? Did he really run? Did he leave with a friend? Did he jump on a train car? There's just so much there you have to look at every angle. They report that a group called Banzai's Bunch and another called Team Banzai still go out regularly searching for him, but have yet to have any luck. But this is when the luck, if that's what you want to call it, starts to change. Around June 7, 2017, an organization called Trucks for Kids, which is a nonprofit that specializes in searching for missing children, came out to do a professional search for Bonsai. CI Proud reports that they had 160 volunteers doing a grid search accompanied by a canine unit. Finally! But in the end, they too had no luck. Just to give you a little insight into how poor the communication seems to be between the police and the community, the police didn't even know Trucks for Kids was coming out. But Trucks for Kids wasn't about to let one failed search stop them, so they came back out again on the 26th, and the third time was what they thought was the charm. That time, they found some clothes underneath a bridge on 474, about a 20-minute drive from Banzai's home, and immediately called the police. The area was cordoned off and there was a pretty big police presence, but it takes less than a day for police to say that they have no reason to believe that the clothes found were bonsais. And for a moment, everyone feels like they're back at square one again, but only for a moment.
That exact same day, around 2.15 p.m., a man mowing the grass on a property along Route 29 and Woodford Drive finds a human skull. The skull had no soft tissue left on it and no hair at all. It had clearly been out in the elements for quite some time. He calls the police and they rush over to the scene, a scene that is less than two and a half miles from where Banzai lived. Police again tape off the area and a mobile crime lab is brought in. The state police are seen swarming the woods behind the fence line and more remains are found behind an abandoned shed scattered in the woods behind the property the skull was found on. The man mowing says that he had been there three weeks prior doing the exact same thing, mowing the exact same lawn, and that the skull definitely wasn't there the last time. And judging by the way the remains were scattered across the property behind that one, investigators believe an animal probably carried it through a hole beneath the fence and into his yard sometime within the last three weeks. Lisa found out that the remains had been found and that they were suspected to be her sons through social media. Again, the communication here is dismal. An autopsy of the skeletal remains is scheduled for the following day and Bonsai's dental records are requested, which is huge. The request for dental records is what sets apart this finding from every other finding in the last eight months. There had been other bodies found in the surrounding areas since Banzai went missing, but authorities were always really quick to rule out that it was him. But this time, they wanted his dental records. The next day, July 25th, the medical examiner determines that the dental records provided for Robert Banzai B are, in fact, a match to the remains found off of Woodford Drive. They're going to do a DNA test to confirm the remains are his, but all of the bones collected are consistent with a 13-year-old boy, and the dental records are a match. They finally found Banzai, and he had been there all along. A volunteer with Team Bonsai tells the Pekin Times that an ex-boyfriend of Lisa's mother named Keith used to mow the property behind the fence line where the majority of his remains were found, and that Keith had actually left town after Robert went missing, but was back in town now. This same team says that they'd searched around that area multiple times, but never that particular building because a family member had steered them away from it, saying that Robert would never be found there. But he was. The police are pretty quiet about the investigation into the remains, but no one can argue that he's a runaway anymore. Now they have to figure out how he died. There was no sign of trauma to the bones found in the yards, and with no soft tissue left, it's hard to come up with a cause of death. But Ashes to Ash said that some rope was found scattered among his remains. Did Banzai die less than two and a half miles from his house due to the cold weather, even though he was surrounded by occupied homes? Or did the rope have some Something to do with his death? And if so, is this now a murder case? It took two months for authorities to get a positive DNA result that without a doubt confirmed the remains found were Banzai's, but when they did, his death was officially ruled a homicide. According to the Taswell Chronicle, the DNA took two months because they needed to create a sample that would match his. They needed to get Lisa and his father's DNA, but his father had passed some months prior, so getting his was harder than normal. 
This also looks like it means that at no point in time did police ever ask for any DNA items belonging to Bonsai, you know, just in case. No hairbrushes, no toothbrushes, nothing. Regardless, the community who had grown to love Bonsai as if he were all of their sons finally had an answer, but now there were more questions than ever. They had finally found Bonsai, but now they had to wonder what happened that day and who killed him and why. The police had told them that there was no reason to believe anyone was in danger when Bonsai first went missing, but this entire time a child killer had been on the loose. A memorial service is held for him on October 14th, which is paid for by an anonymous donor. His funeral was just a month shy of the day he disappeared, but Bonsai wasn't there. The police have kept his remains in evidence, still working on a cause of death for him. This has been listed as a homicide without a cause of death, so what evidence did they find or have they found that made them classify the boy they forever deemed a runaway as a victim of a homicide? All the sheriff's department has said is that it's safe to assume foul play was involved. To this day, there have been no named suspects or even persons of interest, and the PJ Star quotes the department as saying they won't speculate publicly and can't afford to do so professionally. It's an investigation into his death and what caused it. We're not going to get pigeonholed into one direction. We pursue the evidence and take it one step at a time. The process is extremely tedious and time-consuming. It's got to be perfect. And they're right. It does have to be perfect. They get one shot at charging the right person and making sure that he or she goes to jail for the rest of their life for what they did to little Bonsai B. But what is the community who held this investigation together supposed to do in the meantime? For now, they continue to fight for answers and justice in the Facebook groups Justice for Robert Bonsai B and the official Finding Justice for Robert B discussion page, which I'll link in his highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley. Ashes to Ash TV also did a phenomenal docuseries on this case, which is on YouTube, and I highly recommend anyone interested in Robert's case go watch it. I'll also be linking that for you. For now, all we can do is wait and hope that the department investigating Bonsai's homicide brings justice to this little boy who never seemed to have been given a fair shot. For all photos and maps pertaining to this case, check out Bonsai's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley. And join me there tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about the mystery that is still this case. Special shout out to Lindsay Ann, who helped with an incredible amount of research for this case. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just five dollars a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.